And if you have your Bibles, you can uh, begin moving over to the book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah. Old Testament. How many books in the Bible? 66. What does the word Bible mean? Book. Very good. How many books in the Old Testament? Not a lot. Okay, how many in all? 66. How many in the Old? 39. Yes, who said 39? Come on, go back to Sunday school. You've got to go to, you know, way back, way back. Okay, well, I'm okay. Go back to Sunday school. <laughs> how many in the New? Right, what's the little trick I taught you, how to, how to remember that? Okay. Yes, okay, so there's 66 books in the whole Bible. There's 39 in the Old Testament. Three times nine is 27. That's how many are in the New Testament. See? See? There you go. There you go, right? It's important to know, right? Right? You got you to gotta know this. And it's good to know little facts like that, right? Good to know facts like that. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you. For this time, Kairos, this window of opportunity that we have this morning, and uh, Lord, specifically, uh, now we, uh, we have another window of opportunity, an opportunity uh, to hear from you through your word and the ministry and teaching of your Holy Spirit. So uh, as we've been doing uh, throughout uh, the morning together, maximizing worship, maximizing meet and greet. Now, Lord, we want to maximize and redeem this time, this opportunity to uh, hear from you, Lord, and ultimately not just to hear, not just to be hearers, but ultimately doers, and in the obedience of your word, uh, to your word, that uh, our minds would be renewed and we would experience uh, transformation, metamorphosis in this process we call sanctification as your disciples. So we love you. We love your word. And uh, ask you now to uh, open our hearts and minds to, to hear it and then do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Uh, if you have looked at the newsletter, some of you get it online and um, some, many of you get it in print form. Uh, there's been a word search, right, since, since Shiloh was out of town the last two weeks. You know, she usually does the, the puzzle page and really does the whole newsletter now. But she's out of town, so I, uh, it's landed on me to figure out what to do. And, uh, you know, you're very careful, like copyright and all this kind of stuff. But it was really cool because on this one uh, website, I found this build your own word search. Build your own word search. You know, you punch in the names and they create the grid and you're off and running, right? So, so uh, I did that this past week. And it, what, what was the word search for this week? Anyone know? What was it? Covenant. There were a whole bunch of words that we have used in in Sunday, in that word search, you can't get away. You can't get away. So, so you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm gonna use that tool from now on. I think uh, you're gonna be searching for words that you have been hearing on Sundays, and hopefully, you'll, it'll trigger you to remember them because words are very important. One of these days, one of these weeks, you're gonna, you're gonna see a word search, and it's just gonna say OBCF people, and all your names are gonna be in the word search, right? <laughs> You're going to have fun with it, too. But, uh, right, words are very, very important. 
words are absolutely essential in our life, right? But, but even, and, and maybe more so, when you get to the Word of God, right? Because we believe that, that who penned Scripture? Who, who's the author? God, the Holy Spirit, right? Men were moved through the Holy Spirit. So words in Scripture are not random. They're very important. And we have been learning some words over the last uh, several weeks, you know, beginning in this series called Covenant, right? And, and, and a word, again, that we don't really hear too much because in the United States, uh, we are a contract culture. We operate by contract. You have a contract for a, a car, your house, whatever. We make contracts, right? Uh, and this word covenant we've been studying uh, through the lens of, of Scripture. And if you've taken the time, you can really, you know, wow, covenant. Covenant. Because that's really the nature of the relationship we're in with God. It's a covenant. And if we don't take the time to ask ourselves, okay, do I understand covenant? We may have been, been sort of relating to God on a contractual level. And not understanding the depth and, and, and how powerful that word covenant is, right? So, so covenant, powerful word right there in your sermon notes, a solemn binding agreement, bond union between two parties, right? It's binding. In our, in our culture, contracts, what, you know? Make them and break them, right? You know, I told you before, it used to be marriage, used to be this wonderful example of covenant. Kind of tough now in, in our culture to, to use that illustration, you know. But, but still, you know, it, that's, that's one that God uses in the Old Testament. And we'll see that in a bit. Covenant, right? The other word that we've been looking at is diatheke, right? So if we're in a covenant relationship with God, first word is what? What was that word? Everyone say diatheke. Okay, I don't throw these out there, you know, to either make me look smarter so you can walk around Oh, hi, saying, hey, diatheke, hey, diatheke, you know, and like, oh, man, dude, you're like, you're, you're deep. You got really deep, you know. It's not about being deep. It's about being biblical. Amen. And we have to get used and comfortable to say these words. I'm in covenant with the Lord. You got to get used to saying I'm in covenant. We're usually we're like, oh, yeah, Christianity is not a relationship. Or it's not a religion. It's a relationship. OK, what kind of relationship? What kind of relationship? Covenant. Diatheke, right? Covenant in the broad sense. And now we're looking at aspects of covenant. And the first word is what? Begins with D? Diatheke, right? Which means I'm in a relationship with God and diatheke is greater to lesser. His terms. I'm just to accept or reject them. Ultimate example is his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Hey, in God's grace and in his mercy, he didn't leave us helpless and hopeless. He decided he's going to make a plan with Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? You must be born again. God is setting the terms. Greater. He's God. We are not. What are we, what, what's our two options? Accept it. Reject it. There's no negotiation. And we talked before, if we can begin to apply diatheke to our life, it can affect our obedience level. Because oftentimes, when we're being disobedient, we've changed the greater to less, greater to lesser, to what? Equal. And that's suntheki. We saw that before. Right? So in our lives, if you're struggling with an area of obedience, you may want to ask the Lord, Lord, am I trying to negotiate with you? You know, and we saw the video where someone was scratching out the Bible parts she didn't like or he didn't like, right? 
That's suntheki. That's when we take the authority of God and the authority of Scripture and we, 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 send, we tend to think, oh, no, he's my BFF. He's, we're just best friends. You know, he didn't mean that. What he really meant was, you know, okay, so diatheki, very important, right? And then we, uh, last week we looked at this other word, bereath. Everyone say bereath. Bereath, right? And that was the Old Testament. So diatheki was the New Testament word for covenant. Bereath is the Old Testament word for covenant. It's to bind, derived from a root, which means to cut a covenant, to cut a curse, right? So if you turn to Jeremiah, we're in Jeremiah, turn to Jeremiah 31, 33, right? Last Sunday, we spent time looking at Old Testament covenant, an aspect of it, bereath. Jeremiah 31, 33. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the, the essence, the core of covenant is relationship. God desiring a relationship with us. But based on what? Covenant. Not contract. Covenant. Right? And we looked at uh, the nature of what they called the blood covenant in ancient cultures and how if we understood the seriousness of blood covenant, in, in, in the world, in the cultures at that time, when people read the Old Testament and they saw the word covenant, bereave, they would have, you know, they would have said, are you kidding me? God wants to be in bereave? He wants to cut covenant with me? Right? And if you were here last Sunday, we talked about, we used Cindy and Mike Bame, right? And we talked about how covenants are made. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, if you read through it, there's a lot of blood, right? A lot of animals, get cut in half in the Old Testament. We talked about, you know, here's a half of the animal, here's the other half of the animal, there's a lot of blood and guts and all this. Two people making a covenant will come here. Cindy and Mike walked a figure eight around here and met back here. What did the figure eight symbolize? Infinity, eternity, right? So if I make a covenant with you, it's not temporary. It is literally till death do us part, right? We talked about how in some cultures they'll cut the wrist or the palms, and that's where you get the blood brothers, and they, sh- they mingle blood, which symbolized what? The death of independent living. It's no longer I, it's us, right? And they exchange robes, they exchange names, they exchange weapons. When they're saying, hey, everything I own is yours. Even your friends and your enemies are now mine. We're in covenant. That's tight, right? It's an all-in moment. Right? The seriousness of blood covenant. That, that's, what, that's what the Old Testament. So in the, in the culture, think about this. In the culture, when they said, you know, God wants, to, he's going to have a covenant, those people would have said, what? The God of the universe wants to be in covenant with me? He wants to cut covenant? That was absolutely astounding. Mind-blowing. And for some of us, who maybe still view God as, what, way out, way out in the distance, right? God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. You right? remember that song, right? Some of many people, you know, there's, there's this uh, school of thought called deism where, you know, God, they believe God created everything and he puts the world and he spins it and then he just sits back and does this. Oh, yeah. Hmm. wonder what's happening over there. Hmm. Right? 
this idea that, that God got it all in motion, but he's just not involved. He's just sort of aloof, just sort of watching it from a distance. No, that was completely shattered when God says, I, I want to make covenant. I want to be united to you. United, right? And that has so many implications that we've talked about. We ended last Sunday where, where Jesus calls, he says, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you what? Friends. See, at the end of a blood covenant, when all was said and done, everything was exchanged, the blood was mingled, they had a covenant meal. You know what they called each other at the end of all that? Friend. Friend. And we saw that that word friend means king, friend of the king. Meaning uh, the emperor or the king. If you were considered a friend of the king, you could just walk right in anytime. The guards would see you coming and go, oh, friend. You go right into the court. And you know the king personally. Isn't that radical? Jesus calls you his friend. You're a friend. You're in. If you ever wanted to be in the cool group, you're in the cool group. Because that's Jesus' group. You're his friend, right? Yeah, clap. Because right, so many of us have always been on the outs. Everyone's on the outs. And then all of a sudden, through faith in Jesus, through covenant, you're now his friend. 24-7 access. Isn't that radical? Right? And, and you've got to take the time with these words. You've got to let it sink in because... You hear it here, and I know, God, you, you know, many of you have been blessed, and, and, and we chat a little bit after. But here's the thing. When you leave here, and every day, you've got, you got to meditate on this. you really got to take the time to get these words down. You know, a word search is just a funny little tool to do it, but it's also serious. Because when you leave here, we tend to go right back into old patterns. <laughs> And, and if we're not careful, we'll, we'll leave here at 10.15, 10.30, whenever you're going to leave. And right away, you get in your car. And by the time you get home, you, your frame of mind is switched right back to the way it was. And sanctification is really about putting off the old and putting on the new. Right? In your old situation. Ooh. That's where it gets really kind of tricky because other people... And habits and routine all want to go against this new creation that Scott's becoming. Scott might even get this desire in his heart to, 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 to be new creation and step out. And Susan, what's gotten into you? You were never like this before, Scott. Why are you singing so much now? Why are you smiling so much, Scott? You never used to smile. What's wrong with you? What are those men doing to you? What happened at that retreat, Scott? Right? God might be stirring us in very good ways because we're hearing and we're applying and we just got to know, we just got to be prepared that others, even in the church, might kind of scratch their head a little bit and do a, in a good way. What's gone into you? And you know what the great answer is? The Word of God. <laughs> What's gotten into you? The Word of God. And I'm just trying to obey it and walk in it. That's, what, that's what's gotten into you is the Word of God. Right? So just, just understand that that's part of it, and, and, and it's part of the joy of it. Right? Is, uh, the Word of God's gotten into me, and I'm just trying to obey it and, and play it out. Right? Okay? That's why you've got to know these words. And so we have covenant, we have diatheke, we have bereave. Right? We gotta, it's very important. Next word. 
to help us understand this, the nature of this relationship we're in is on the back of your notes. And it's hesed. Everyone say hesed. Okay, the, the emphasis is on the he. Okay, so hesed. Not hesed, it's hesed. Okay, hesed. <laughs> All right, good, right? It means, you know, in, in very simplest terms, it means loving kindness, right? And that's why, that's, not, that's like a word you don't even hear anymore, right? That's what, come look at the, the, today's sermon titles, loving what? Loving kindness. What is loving kindness, right? And, and, and this is where it's very important because this word love in our culture is all twisted too. And if we're not careful, we bring our definition and our view and our experience of the word love into and project it onto what? Who? God. And so that's why these words are very important because if we're going to understand covenant and we're going to understand how God loves us in covenant, it's got to be through his word. And his word is Hesed. I want to say Hesed. All right? Loving kindness, mercy. This is just, you know, in the time we have on a Sunday, there's no way I could, I could do, do it justice, but I just want to put some bullet points. Faithful love in action often refers to God's loving kindness expressed in his covenant relationship with Israel. Steadfastness, loyalty, trustworthiness, devotion. All right. I've shared with you, you know, been pretty open with you the last two Sundays about things that happen in my life where I'm being challenged at the core level. This word right here, when I see the words loyalty and trustworthiness, I kind of tighten up a little bit. And this is where I am being challenged to view God through His Word and how He relates to me and not how humans have treated me. You guys understand what I'm saying? If you have been burned, if you have had people profess loyalty and then stab you in the back, if people have wounded you deeply and they said they loved you, all of that can come to bear. All of a sudden, hey, God loves you. What? Ah. I'm not so sure about this love thing because in my world, this is what happened to me when I let people love me or I tried to love or people said they loved me. I ended up getting hurt. I ended up getting betrayed. I ended up da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's all real. Okay, I'm not minimizing that. But I am saying you have to make a choice. And the choice is this. I acknowledge, Lord, all this stuff that happened to me at the human level, but I'm choosing now to let you teach me about who you are. And that's where I want to start to operate in, in my relationship with God. Do you guys understand that? A lot of people get stuck. They're growing, 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 and then they plateau in their, in their relationship with the Lord because they get stuck on stuff that happened to them. Not minimizing it, but they just sort of da-da-da-da-da. Okay, I'm good. Because if we're going to keep growing, some of the stuff that happened to us, we have to let go of. we got to process through. We have to forgive. We have to grieve and, 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 and understand that that happened. But that's, this is you, God. And if I'm going to keep moving to you, this stuff, I, I, at a certain point I have to choose what I'm going to do with it. And that's kind of where I am in some areas of my own life as I'm going through this understanding of covenant and, and how serious it is. Right? We, we ended last Sunday asking two questions. How serious do you take your relationship with God? Because covenant was pretty serious. What they were saying, in the, in the, they call it the walk of death. Hey, if I, if I don't fulfill my vows, would you kill me like we killed these animals? That's pretty serious, right? Pretty serious. 
And then we said, then we turned it around and we said, are you serious? Kind of in a fun way, right? Are you kidding me? Jesus calls me my friend, right? And so all of this comes into us understanding what God is telling us about who he is and how he operates towards us. So Hesed, it's his loving kindness, uh, steadfastness, loyalty, trustworthiness, right? A great word for us is devotion, maybe that kind of. Someone who's just absolutely devoted to you. Devoted to you. I don't know if you, if you, if you I mean, I, you don't have to name names, you don't have to, but what does that mean? What does that, do you have someone in your life that you know, without doubt, is just devoted? What a powerful word. Their love for you is steadfast. They're just devoted to you, right? That, that These are all kind of human words to try to convey Hesed, right? Loyalty, trustworthiness, devotion. If we look at Jeremiah thirty-one three, right? We're in that. We're in there. Let's, let's just we'll just go through and look at some verses in the Bible that that convey this, that speak to God's loving kindness, right? Jeremiah thirty-one three. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, "I have loved you with what? An everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness." Right? Right? If you turn to Lamentations, we're just going to keep going to the right. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Right? So just go one book to your right. Lamentations 3. Lamentations 3. Verse 22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That little uh, song there, the steadfast love of the Lord, that's based on Lamentations 3, right? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness. Right? If you want a verse, if you want to praise something just to wake up in the morning, it's right there. You can, you can read that out loud and say, uh, or you can sing this song, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are what? New every morning. What a great morning prayer, right? Woohoo! Lord, your love is steadfast. Your mercies are new today, right? What a great morning prayer. What a great morning prayer. All right, let's keep going to the book of Psalms. We'll just look at a couple of Psalms that speak to God's hesed. Hesed, my bad. Hesed. Turn to Psalms. We're going to go left now. Psalm. Let's look at Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 11. Do not withhold your mercy. In some translations, mercy is used, right? Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. And then the last one, let's turn to Psalm 119. It's on your notes there. 119. And we'll look at verse 76. Psalm 119. 
Psalm 119, verse 76. May your unfailing love be my comfort according to your promise to your servant. And that is kind of the heart, my heart for you, and even I'm working through. May your unfailing love be my what? Comfort. See, God made us relational. And at the deepest part of our being, we all want to be what? Loved. As you all sit here, because we're human, we have this desire to be loved. And if we can understand Hesed, right? What's the psalmist saying? May your unfailing love be my comfort. See, when things are going tough in your life, when you're struggling, and, and maybe, you know, like Tina, you have prayer requests, and, and you, have, you have needs and everything, what's your comfort? Where do you go? Where you say to God, but what about God, specifically? What is your comfort? And there's a lot that can comfort you, but here he says, may your unfailing love be my comfort. Wow. Some of us, you know, you go, oh, he protects me. He provides. Yes. But how many of us have gone to God's unfailing love for our comfort? Whew. And why is that tough? I think it's tough because we don't understand uh, truly covenant love because we're still operating many times in contract with God. Conditional love. Anyone ever grow up in in a conditional love environment? Well, if... Then, right? If you do this, 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 then I'll love you. If you don't do this, 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 and this, then I'm going to withhold my love from you. Anyone, right? Right? In different settings and scenarios. Sometimes we translate that onto God. And we think that based on our performance, God loves us more. God loves us less. And we project our successes and we project our failures onto how we think God is viewing us at that particular moment. Oh, God's just bummed with me. God doesn't like me right now. Right? And if we're, if, we're, if we're not careful, if we develop this whole negative projection on God, how is that going to affect your desire to come to God's house? You get what I'm saying? If you view God conditionally, and you've kind of blown it, and you think that God's mad at you, and is now His love has been taken from you, are you going to want to come to God's house? Are you going to want to sing? Are you going to even want to pray or even open His Word? Do you guys understand what I'm saying? We have to be very careful that, that we're, not, we're projecting on God our own stuff, and we're not understanding it biblically, right? Because it has implications in every area of our life. If we think God's mad at us, if we think God has pulled His love from us, yeah, sure you're not going to want to be here. Yeah, sure you're not going to answer calls. Yeah, sure you're not going to answer texts from people who care about you. Why? Because maybe you think deep down that God's mad at you. And God has what? Torn up the contract. You've blown it one too many times, Scotty, and God's done with you. A lot of people check out a church because they believe that God was done with them. And they've heaped all this false perception onto God. And all the while, God is like, my unfailing love, come, experience my unfailing love and be comforted. Do you you see what happens? See what happens? Or, if we have this wrong view of God, we live in fear. Fear of messing up. Years ago, I shared with you, uh, I played 
basketball in high school. And our coach tried to coach us via the fear method. And here it was. If you mess up, bad pass, bad shot, right, missing assignment on the court, you're coming out of the game as soon as the next dead ball. What do you think that did to us on the court? Do you think we were free to play, free to try new things, free to like mess up and just but with the right heart, right? Or do you think we were just like, don't mess up. Don't mess up. Because if you mess up, what? Out of the corner of your eye, you see him point to someone who's going to come in for you. See, a lot of people, a lot of Christians think that God's waiting for you to mess up and then he's going to pull someone off the bench and now you're on the bench. Right? It, it, it's so, you know, it was just like, are you kidding me? We had no freedom. We had no joy to play anymore. We just didn't want to mess up. But here's the crazy thing. The best athletes out there, best really anything in life, they mess up a lot. They have this freedom, this deep feeling, I'm going to go for it. You guys understand what I'm saying? we got to understand Hesed because there's freedom in it. The freedom of being wrapped in God's unfailing love. Holy cow. Wrapped in God's unfailing love if you're in covenant with Him. It's amazing, right? And so I'm thinking, Lord, how, how do we get this? How, how, how can you, is there something in the Bible where, where you show this, where you show Hesed, that maybe to this week and next week we can really kind of start to scratch the surface to, 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 to feel it here? Not just here, not just here, Pastor Richie say loving kindness, not to hear words, but to feel it here. And he's like, yeah, look at the book of Hosea. All right? So turn to Hosea. First one there finds, finds it, gets a prize. <laughs> Hosea. You're like, Hosea? I never even heard of Hosea. Hosea is after Daniel, if that helps you. That's in the Old Testament. Right there, we have a winner right there, right here, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. And then if you, if you get to Joel and Amos and all the minor prophets, you went too far. Okay. Hosea. All right. So we have to understand this book in the context of this new word that we learned, which is what? Hesed. Right? You have to understand. This, this is God, a very powerful, 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 true, true illustration of God's hesed in the book of Hosea. Okay? It's a picture of Israel's all right, spiritual adultery and God's hesed. See in your note. Hosea, okay, every time you see Hosea from now on, it represents God. Gomer represents the northern king, kingdom Israel and us. Everyone say us or everyone say me. Okay, so Gomer is me, okay? Jose is God, Gomer is me. Very important, right? You've got to understand what God is saying here, okay? So, let's read Hosea 1, 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Beri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, Son of Jeho- uh, Jehoash, 
king of Israel. Now, how many of you, when you read those, if you, I know many of you have read through the Old Testament, how many of you, when you read a verse like that, you just skip it really fast? You're like, yeah, 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 king so-and-so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can, can we get to the meat now, Lord? You know, All right. Just, just a little help in Bible study. Okay. In our culture, we identify time periods by dates. Right? 9-11. Okay? In the Old Testament, in the Bible, when they want to uh, give you a picture of what the culture was like and what was happening, they use reigns of kings. That's why these are, that's, that's the importance of this. So when, it's not just random, like I said, there's nothing random in the Bible. So when they're, when they're describing uh, these different reigns, it's their way of saying, and this is what was happening. Okay? So really quick Old Testament survey, right? Jacob has how many sons? Twelve. The twelve sons become what? The twelve, the twelve tribes, right? In the course of the Old Testament, there's conflict, right? The twelve tribes split into two kingdoms, right? The northern kingdom is called Israel, or Ephraim in some Bible, right? Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Okay, that's, that's the setting right here. Hosea was a prophet in the northern kingdom, Israel. Okay, so we got it. That's what's happening. Now, verse 1 is important because when these kings were reigning, right, this was a time, if you studied what was happening, this was a time of national peace and prosperity. Okay, very important. That's what verse 1, if you studied the history and what was happening in that part of the world, verse 1 tells us right now that Israel and Judah as a whole are experiencing wonderful peace and prosperity. Okay? Now, why is that important? Keep your finger on Hosea and turn to Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6. Why is it so important? Why is verse 1 so important? Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 10. All right. You there? Good. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember last week we looked at that covenant with Abraham. Hey, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a land. Your descendants are going to be like the stars, right? Okay, so that's what he's talking about. To give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. If you want to underline that thing, but maybe 12, be careful you do not forget the Lord. He had warned them. Okay, go back to Hosea. He had warned his people, hey, when you get to the promised land and you get all these blessings and there's peace and there's prosperity, hey, by the way, don't forget me. In the United States of America, hey, you, experiencing general, compared to the rest of the world, peace and prosperity. When you're experiencing peace and prosperity, guys, the Lord says the same thing to us today. What? Don't forget me. It's that nature. We'll come to God in a crisis. 
We'll come to God with a huge need. And just like he said to Deuteronomy 6, he's saying to us this morning, and he's going to say through us through Hosea, hey, in times of peace and prosperity, guys, don't forget me. Remember who got you here. I love that. You did not build. You did not do this. You did not do that. Right? So right off the bat, Hosea 1.1. It's a time of peace and prosperity. Back in Deuteronomy 6, he had warned them. He said, hey, 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 hey. And you know what they did? They just blew them off. They forgot him. And Hosea is about Israel's spiritual adultery. In a time of peace and prosperity, they just went off to other gods. Forgot God. And who does Israel represent? Got really quiet. Us. Okay, and then make it personal. Me. Right? So that's Hosea 1.1. 1, 1. He, sets, he sets the tone. Let's look at verse 2. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. What? You know, if you read that, understand what God was telling Hosea to do. And this happened. Go. Take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness. Now, if you study this, there are kind of two schools of thought. One was that she was already a prostitute in one of the temples. The second one is that she was faithful at that time, but God was saying, in her heart, it's not right because she's going to wander on you and she's going to commit adultery. If you're, if, in light of the, the analogy to Israel, the second one seems to fit a little bit better because they started out with good with God. They started out good with God and then they wandered away. So in this sense, it kind of makes sense that, okay, he married her. Things might have been good for a time, but there was something in her where God was saying, hey, dude, it's coming. Can you imagine? Okay, we, 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 this is one of those books where you just got to go, I cannot believe that is in the Bible. Wes. Okay, no, Olivia. We'll, we'll turn it away. Imagine you, you and Wes, way back, you're going to get married, right? And you're talking about marriage, right? And Wes says, yeah, Olivia, I'd love to marry you. I'd love to marry you. But I got to be honest. I'm not going to be faithful. I'm not going to be faithful, Olivia. I'm, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... He's not marrying me, right? Just straight up. Right? See ya. Right? I'm not going to be faithful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an adulterer. I, I, I might even have kids outside of our marriage. That is what is happening here. How many of you have a pit in your stomach right now? How many of you feel for Hosea right now? Do, do you feel grief for him? Do you feel pain? See, here's the thing. When we wander from God and we break His commands, we also break His heart. See, that the attribute that we tend to ascribe to God when we're disobedient is anger, right? God's angry with me. How many of us have ever said, Lord, forgive me for wandering, forgive me for disobedience. I know it breaks your heart. Oh, isn't that so radical? 
Lord, I don't want to break your heart. Lord, I don't want to grieve you. Lord, oh my gosh, what was Hosea feeling? What must have been going through Hosea's mind? What? She's going to what? What? And this is even in that culture, it's even worse because you had to marry someone pure and and it, it was a big deal. Adultery was a huge deal. So if you're feeling for Hosea and you're feeling burden and grief and almost heartbreak for what Gomer is doing, that's what God wants us to learn. He says, hey, my love for you is steadfast. My love for you is unfailing. And when you wander and when you forget me, you know what? It's not just that I'm angry, not just that there's consequences. It breaks my heart. And if you've been a parent, you know, right? As parents, yes, you know, we got to be the heavy and sometimes we got to have consequences and sometimes we get angry at our kids. But how many of you as a parent would just love for your kid to have understood that what they were doing broke your heart? Right? And how many of us as parents would just love for our kids to say, oh, I don't want to do that anymore, mom or dad, because I know it breaks your heart. Oh, I don't want to break your heart, Lord. That's the story that that we get thrown into right off the bat. God's like, hey, Hosea, I'm going to use you to teach the people a lesson about how much I love them, but also about what they're doing. Go marry Gomer. She's going to be unfaithful to you, man. And she might even have kids that aren't even yours. Right? So we keep reading. Verse 3, he marries her and she has a son. And it's very important. Verse 3, it says, bore him a son. So most people believe that was actually his kid. Okay? Now, the son in verse 4 is Jezreel, which means God scatters. It's a word picture that God's going to bring judgment on Israel because they've turned their back on him. He's going to bring judgment. Right? And then verse 6, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. The missing word there is to him. So there's debate. There's, there's uncertainty if this is his kid. Okay? Call her Lo Ruhama, right? Which means no love. No love. Then verse 8, she has another son. And again, this son, according to the word, we don't know for sure if it was Hosea's kid. Just as another son. The Lord called him Lo Ami, which is not my people. Not my God. Not, I'm not your God, right? Those three words are word pictures of what has happened to their relationship with God because of their disobedience and their rebellion. I'm going to scatter you. Discipline, judgment's coming. Our love relationship now is alienated. And you've turned your back. You're not even acting like my people. You're just doing your own thing. He uses these, these, these names to describe the strained relationship that has happened because of Israel's rebellion and sin. God calls it what it is, right? And then let's just go back to Hosea through this whole time. What's Hosea experiencing? I don't even know if that's my daughter. I don't even know if that's my son. Right? Hosea's just got to be just going through it, heartbroken. And then at the end of this, and we'll close with this, there's hope. I love this. Verse 10. That word yet. If you have your Bibles, 
if you're comfortable writing, you may want to underline or circle that word yet. That is an awesome <laughs> That three-letter word in this chapter should, should like, make you smile. <laughs> if you've ever messed up and wondered if God was putting you on the bench and you were done, that word yet should bring you huge hope. Huge. Because it says yet. The Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore. He's referring to his promise he made back in Genesis. He told them, hey, you're, right? He's, he's, he's reminding them of his promise. He says, yet. They've done all of this. There's, they walked away from me. Yet. This is God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore. I'm not giving completely up on them, which cannot be measured or counted in a place where it was said to them. You are not my people. They will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be reunited and they will appoint one leader and will come out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved ones. Remember what the names of the kids were? Not my people and not loved. Verse two one says, you know what? There's been complete restoration. Now you are my people and now you are my loved ones. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? See, here's the thing, guys. Here's, here's the thing, and, and this is what I want you to get, and we're just going to pick up next Sunday. In our walks with the Lord, we understand. I would, I would guess that most of us here understand that God's grace and God's loving kindness is not a license to sin. We get that, right? Paul dealt with that in Romans 6. We're not, it's not a license to sin. But here's what I want you to get, one of the points I want you to get before we head into communion. God's hesed. Is so incredible, so supernatural, that as we're going through life, and as we maybe make poor decisions, and as we at times wander, and as we at times forget Him, here's the good thing. He doesn't quit on you. All He asks you is repent and come home. Just repent and come home. Yet, 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 you can still feel that. I'm, you're, you're my people. I love you. That word yet. And so, word of encouragement to you, as we go forward in sanctification for the next however many years God has us together, let's just enjoy God's freedom. And when we sin, let's just be up front and confess it. And when we sin, let's just be up front and receive forgiveness from God and from one another. Amen? Because here's the crazy thing. As God has said is to us, He calls us to do that here. To be devoted to one another. Now, at the human level, I mean, that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's something. But isn't it a great thing to shoot for in this church? What if this church was known for hesed? Our unfailing, steadfast, loyal, devoted love to one another. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Because it just might be. If we get that from here to here, Scott might just come to me and say, Hey, you know that whole thing about hesed and that devoted thing and that, un- that loyalty all right, man, I want to see if you're for real. I'm going to tell you what's really going on in my life. As a way to see if we're really about devotion and love and loyalty. Or if we're going to grow up. Stop. You know? No. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? So we're going to pick up on this and we're just going to walk through Hesed. Say Hesed. That's how he feels about you. May his unfailing love be your comfort. Isn't that awesome? Not a license, but he knows our frame. He knows we struggle. And may his unfailing love 
be a comfort. And when you've blown it, and when you confess it, hear that word, yet, yet, don't run away from Him. Come running to Him. Because He's just like, yet, come home. Come home. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for Your hesed. And I know this morning we've just barely scratched the surface. And, wow, Hosea, just stunning, this, this, this story we're reading in the Bible. And we can only imagine Hosea's heartbreak when his wife wanders and commits adultery. And yet, you told us this story not just to, to confront the nation of Israel, but also to confront us in our peace and prosperity today in this country. And so, Father, we confess to You right now, if we have forgotten You, if we have wandered away in the land of plenty, we repent. We ask Your forgiveness. If we are guilty of spiritual adultery, we have been pursuing other gods. We confess it and we ask Your forgiveness. And we desire a restored relationship. And we're thankful that your unfailing love is our comfort this morning. And as we prepare for communion and hold the cups, would you remind us of this covenant we're in through the blood of your Son, Jesus. Amen.